verse 11. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, this has been our basis verse. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people see, cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to the end. We live in an era, and it's hard for us to understand all of what God is trying to do. That's what's so incredible about the Bible is that the Bible allows us to like take a huge overview of thousands of years and go, wow, look what God did. And when we read it, though, we're like, wow, that's so cool that, that you know, there was silence before Jesus came. Yeah, well, it wasn't so cool for the people who were living in the 500 years of silence where God did not speak. Because 500 years is a long time, but when we read it on a page, it just kind of slips out. So we have to understand that we're living in this season of time and that God is doing something incredibly important through you. He wants to not only work in you. He doesn't just want to work around you. He wants to work through you. But what we need to understand is that there's a whole scope of what God wants to do. And when you move the dial a little bit, it's not just about you. It's about accomplishing the entire plan of purpose that God has for the whole earth. And so you live a significant life because your life is helping move forward the plan of God, the whole scope of which we cannot even know, taste, or even begin to understand. It is conceivable that a decision that you make in this lifetime has an impact for generations to come. It is conceivable (laughs) that a decision or a choice that you make has an impact for generations to come. (laughs) You guys are the worst shutter downers I've ever heard in my life. Okay, let's just get back to the Bible. In a trendy world, the best things are life in life are timeless. I once again have this terrible iPad, which we're just going to like go like that with because when I bought it 10 years ago, it was an amazing piece of technology that was literally felt like we held the future in our hands. And today I just toss it around because it actually does nothing. It has no purpose in life. It does not turn on. It cannot accept an operating system. It does not function. So it's amazing how quick the, the trendiest, most amazing thing with the, with a deeply personal inscription here, it says a gift from from her husband to her, wrote this incredible inscription on the back, property of Desiree Esslinger. And so I gave her this iPad for Christmas, and, and now it's, it's worthless. And it's the same, same thing with, with our lives. If we live our lives based on trends, things are always changing. What's, what's trendy? What's popular? Is it, is it popular to believe this? Is it, is it popular to build my life on this? Is it popular to watch a Netflix documentary and change my entire life based on one documentary that's unfounded and not fact-checked? Wow, aggressiveness towards vegans in the front row. Anyways, the whole purpose is I don't want to live my life based on, on a 35-minute movie. I want to live my life based on something that's timeless and true that goes back through the generations that existed even before anything else existed. And so we're talking about eternity, we're talking about what happens next, but we're talking about a specific part of eternity because I've got so many questions out of my first message out of this verse, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. Does anyone care about this? Anyone ready for this? Okay, great. Second, thank you, uh, Melissa. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, for we must all stand before God to be judged. That's, let's just, we must all stand before God to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. I'm going to read it one more time. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done 
in this earthly body. Yes, it is true that you need to stand and give account for the things that have done, that have happened in, in this earthly body, in this lifetime that you've lived. We all have to do that. The incredible thing is that Jesus died on a cross for us. He wiped away our sin, our shame, our condemnation, mistakes. He made a pathway to God. He gave us the opportunity to live this eternal life, this thing that everyone's been chasing down for millennia. He gave us this opportunity and a free gift to us. And so it's not whether or not we're going to make it up into heaven and then experience the new heavens and the new earth. This is after you're already in, after you've already accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, after he's already transformed you, you just got to stand before him and go, hey, let's have a conversation about what my life looked like, about the whole scope of God's work. And a lot of us, we get, we get scared about this, but we just have to understand that the very Jesus you're going to stand before, God the Father, that you're going to stand before these people who literally made the greatest sacrifice that any person could make where they die for you and not like the, the Sunday morning looks good, great hair part of you. He died for the like Monday morning, no coffee, bathrobe, crazy hair, bad attitude you. The worst part of you, that's who he, he died for. He died for the worst part of you. So don't you think that that conversation is going to be a little different than you think? It's not like somebody with a big ruler. It's kind of like, hey, let's just talk for a few minutes about some of the choices that you made. First Corinthians 3 puts it this way. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw, but on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. And so there is this kind of implication that this life matters maybe more than we even thought. Sometimes we, we trivialize heaven, and when we trivialize heaven, we marginalize our lives. Because we go, oh, well, it's fine. I'll do what I want. I've, I've prayed my prayer. I'm going to get up into heaven. God is merciful and gracious, and most importantly, he's fair. And, you know, if I didn't know about any of this, then it's totally fine. I'll just make it. It'll be great. I made it by the skin of my teeth. It's totally great. It's awesome. And all of that is true, except that you do know about this now. <laughs> You do know about this moment where this life matters for my eternity. Now, we get nervous by words like fire and things burning us up. I mean, fair, fair enough, fair enough. It's deeply concerning to be lit on fire. But that's not what the Bible is actually saying here is making a word picture, if you would. And he's saying that he's using the fire as a picture of something that burns away like a fine uh, jeweler would to melt down a piece of gold where all the imperfections that were filler fades away and only the pure thing remains. It's a refinement process, which means you're the finest piece of jewelry and he just wants to put a little bit more shine and there'll be an eternal reward and eternal thank you, uh, pat on the back and amazing things for what you did on this earth because we have to understand that we're an important piece of God's whole scope of work. 
Oftentimes we think we live in this timeline and we live our life. And even if we have a family, we think, well, they're going to go do their family thing, their individual thing, and I'm going to do my individual thing. And, And we live our lives as individuals, living individual timelines, but God actually put us as a bigger piece of his entire plan and everything is working together. And so you play an incredibly important part. God has an incredible plan and purpose for you that you don't even understand. Though he's put eternity in our hearts, we cannot understand the whole scope of God wants to do through your life and through the generations that will come from you. Wow, that's unbelievable. Let's shift gears a little bit. Who, who ever had to stand in the corner as a child? Anyone stand in the corner? Jeff did a lot. I also stood in the corner a lot. And uh, I don't know. So when I was like looking this up earlier and Googling things, as, which is how you write messages, you just Google. And um, okay, nobody's laughing today. Thank you, Tara. I heard that laugh. Um, did you know, this is a very like 21st century, I don't want to blame the millennials, but this is a very 21st century thing. No longer is standing in the corner like, like what we call it. It's now the calming corner. It's a place where you just collect your thoughts, really recenter yourself, refocus, think about your actions. No, the, the corner serves a specific purpose in your life where your mom has had enough of you and your attitude, and she sends you there so that later the right hand of fellowship will reap your rear end because you were too much to handle. And what she was doing was building the fear in your heart so that when When your dad came home, you were just terrified because even though the corner lasted two minutes, the fear in your heart lasted three hours. And she was just trying to sink in that your life was terrible and you made a bad choice. So you're standing in the corner. What's the one thing that you do when you're standing in the corner and all your friends or your cousins are over at your house? You might try not to cry or you might try and Because if you can make eye contact with those scoundrels over there, you're going to do this thing where you're like, (laughs) just showing how tough you are in this corner, that this corner is not going to break you. That they may send me here, but my soul is with you. You also want to know all the good times that you're having because you have a deep, like FOMO, fear of missing out. You are deeply afraid that they're having more fun than you. So you want to do two things. Show them that you're a boss owning this corner. And number two, you want to just be like, oh, look at all the amazing things they're doing with their lives. So you want to look over. Now the only bump in the road is if you then make eye contact with your mother, who then brings down a wrath so harsh that these Bible verses seem like nothing. Like you're just like, bring on the fire, melt away my soul. That's fine. I don't want to make eye contact with my mom. We love to look over our shoulders and look back. So the question I have for you today is, are we more committed to the future or to the past? What's driving our lives? Is it what lies ahead or is it what's behind us? Are we more committed to the past? Are you more committed to the past in your marriage where your husband or your wife or or your girlfriend or whoever it may be said that one or two or three things that cut you so deep, but it was just happened to be about 17.35 years ago, and yet you still have based your entire marriage around those four judgmental words, and you can't get close, and you can't find a intimacy, and you can't find healing, and you're just growing apart because you're more committed to the past than you are building a life together because you're holding on to that thing. 
Are we more committed to the past than we are in the future when you just go over and over and over what you feel like was a missed opportunity where you could have done more, you should have done more, and so your whole life is built trying to get back to that place again? Or are you committed to the future where you say, I'm just moving forward into what God has for me here, now, and today? And if it didn't happen then, God's got something else around the corner. So I'm going to put my hope and my trust in Jesus, and I'm going to follow him one step at a time. Are we more committed to the future or the past. I would challenge that most of us view the future like a corner where we continually keep looking back, wishing we could return. What we actually end up doing is glamorizing what was. We live terrified of what could be but we glamorize what was. Let's look at the Bible because I feel like that's an important thing to do. As we try and understand how do we live a life that moves us not only forward, but is a life that prepares us for an eternity, a very real eternity with Jesus. Well, I think there's no other better model to base our life off than Jesus. Anyone agree in the house that Jesus is maybe where we should start and end and finish? Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Let's consider this. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, we actually, you might not even remember this. We stumbled across this verse in Campfire Stories, but we just kept moving. But what's, what's incredible about this is that when we read it, we can just kind of pass over it, but we miss the strength of the language in the original text. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. You're like, resolutely, that's kind of a weird word for anyone to use. It's because in English we suck at conveying the, the desperation and the strength of Jesus' desire to do nothing but face forward and move forward. To help us understand this phrase, we go back to the original language and intention and we understand that there was a thought at the time that whatever direction that your, your face was pointed was there your feet would follow. So the idea was not that Jesus just looked towards Jerusalem and he's like, he's just looking to Jerusalem. The idea was that not only did he set his eyes on Jerusalem, but he is moving forward and he's moving forward at an unstoppable pace that nothing is going to come in between him and his destiny, him and the very thing that, that God had in store for him. So how does that even look? How does that play out? Good thing there's more Bible to read in John chapter 12, verse 20. Today we'll look at the message paraphrase. Is that all right? I didn't. I asked, but I didn't mean it. There were some Greeks in town who had come up to worship at the feast, and they approached Philip, who was from Beth Bethsaida in Galilee. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Can you help us? Now, that is a worthy question to be asking. Sir, can you hook us up to see Jesus? Now, Jesus made it very clear during his mission on earth that his very first thing was to reach the Jews and anyone else later, they would come. But these guys were smart. They went to a guy in the circle, kind of a guy that we never hear about a lot, Philip. They go to this guy on the edge of the circle because every person that's in Jesus' circle wants to be the man, wants to be like, yeah, I know Jesus, I could probably hook you up with some time. You know, like, I love being the guy. Like, I love it when people's like, hey, do you know where I could go for this? And I'm like, yes, here's three names. Say that you know me. That's the same thing with Philip. He's like, yeah, I'll get you some time with Jesus Christ, Lord of the universe. Not a problem. Fine. Cool. Like, consider it done. Sir, 
Can we see Jesus? Yes. <laughs> Verse 22. Philip went to, and told Andrew because he couldn't do it by himself. He's like, Andrew, please help me. Andrew and Philip together because I know I'm in the circle, but I feel like if we do it together, he can't say no to both of us. It's like children. Together told Jesus, and Jesus answered, time's up. I'm out. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, meaning no. No, you can't get a meeting. And Philip's like, but I told these fine Greek gentlemen that I could get them a meeting. They have tzatziki. They've got hummus. They've offered some shawarma. I feel like we should take it up. We should take them up on it a little bit. We should consider it like maybe, like, I already, I put my neck out here, Jesus. Like, <laughs> I kind of said I was the guy, and now I look foolish, but you still look awesome. Don't worry. You're still Jesus Christ Almighty. Uh, but what do you, wait, what do you mean time's up? ESV version says that the time has come. The time has come. What do you mean? Well, Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem, which means Jesus was now making his final pathway to the cross. He was on a journey to the cross, the ultimate journey, the ultimate destiny to die for our sins. And Jesus was on his way, and he's like, listen, guys, I got to get moving. There's a timeline here. People need to crucify me, and I need to make sure that they can do that. So let's, let's start moving. No, I do not have some time for a big, fat Greek wedding. I do not have time for that. What I do have time for is saying no to these guys so that I can move forward into my future, move forward into my destiny. The honest truth is that Jesus didn't, I was going to do a double negative there. That's not going to work. Jesus loved these Greeks a lot, so much that he had to say no so that he could go and die for them. Sometimes we hear a no and we're like, well, you just hate me. No, sometimes you hear a no, particularly from God or Jesus, because he's got something better for you. So yeah, some. 20 minutes with Jesus would be great. Fit in, you know, with some tzatziki would be awesome. Laying on the ground eating some hummus sounds great with some quality pita. But what is better is eternity with Jesus in a new heaven and a new earth with a never-ending supply of chickpeas. That is what is better. Where you have an eternal salvation where God loves you so much that he has to say no to you so that he can do something so good and so generous and so transforming for you that you're actually happy and thrilled about the no when you find out the context of the whole scope of God's work. Twenty-four, Verse 24, listen carefully, unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat, but if it is worried, if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times. He's talking about him having to go and die so that many can be saved. But then he comes up with this Price. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. Anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. You know, I have, as you know, two two sons, Everett and Kingston, five and two and a half. One of them desperately needs Jesus. Uh, but you're, you become very aware when you become a parent, and I'm just really praying multiplication of fertility over the front row right here. But um, 
I mean, that you would be surprised at what God is doing, um, even right now. Anyways, that's strange, not right now. Okay, um, maybe we should leave some room for the Holy Spirit. Um, anyway, what you become aware of when you're a parent is that time goes so quickly, and you look at pictures of what your kids used to look like, and you're like, wow, I don't even think I remember that. And then, you know, I haven't experienced this yet, but I'm told they become teenagers and you just regret every decision that you made in your life. You're like, I thought I did a good job. I thought I was a good parent. This is the worst. Like, you are a jerk. It's not that I hate you. I just don't like you. I still love you. I don't have to like you. And you may go through those stages where you're like, wow, this seems terrible. And so what you do, what our natural tendency is, is to roll back into our mind to this, like, favorite moment or a favorite memory you know, like where they're like one and a half and there's like all that chub and all those rolls and the cute little pants and they're like, and you're just like, all they did was just want to be cuddled. And we go back and then we just like look at this memory. We're like, I just want it to be like that forever. Do you remember the blowouts in public places? Like, do you remember the amount of poop that your hands have touched? Like, I'm just, I'm wondering if you recall the time when your child pooped their pants and then you passed them down the table at Swiss Chalet and it just dropped on plates and you left quickly. I'm just wondering because we roll back to the very best moments of life and we're like, I just want it to be like this forever. But what you think it was, it never was and never could be, never can be, never should be. Because we glamorize the past. We look at what was and we create one positive thought and we're like, can't it just be like this? And so we live our lives then committed to a past that never existed and our future is determined by us chasing down an ideology that's not even humanly possible to be created. If you hold on to this life exactly as it is, exactly right now, take your best moments in life, it's just going to slip right by you and you're going to live disappointed and depressed because you can't ever live the fantasy that you are concocting in your mind. There might even be an era where you feel like you were the best. You were the most effective. God was doing something through you. You were just like, bam. Uh, I don't know why I said bam. You were just, you were it. You were on it. And you look back at those times and you're like, man, I just want to go back to that. I just wish I could experience that. And every time we do that, we cut the legs out out under the plan and the purpose of Jesus where he says, guys, but you don't understand the whole scope of the work that I want to do through you. What you don't understand is that your best days still lie ahead. And though you think your glory days were your best days, those are just the platform that I was using to develop you, to move you into a new season. So don't stay stuck at the platform. Don't stay stuck at the third rung of the ladder when you can crawl all the way up to the top when you follow Jesus. Why, do you, why are we satisfied with just a little bit the moment that we feel good? We're like, this is so nice. Let's just stay here. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, it's a business book, but I venture to say it's not just a good book. It's a great book. He says that good is the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great. We settle for good. We settle for the good times instead of the great things that God has for us. You know, God didn't say good things are yet to come. He said greater things are yet to come. Why are we settling for good when we could ask ourselves, in the words of John Bevere, is this good or is this God? 
But if you let it go, where are we at? There we go, last line. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. What are you holding on to today that is actually holding you back from this next season, from this next chapter, from this next breakthrough? What are you holding on to? What memory, what relationship, what, I don't know, job? (laughs) What city are you holding on to? that's actually destroying your life. It's just the Bible, I'm just reading the Bible. What's the thing that I need to let go of with reckless love so that I'll have this reckless love forever that's real and it's eternal that moves me from good to great? Do you have any people pleasers in the room? How about this, is anyone like it when people don't like you? Just put your hand up in the air. You're lying if you do. So nobody did. Phil did briefly, but he's lying. The honest truth is nobody doesn't like to be liked. Nobody likes it when somebody's angry with them. Even if you put on a brave face and you say, a little soon, bro. A little soon. Sit down. Big round of applause for Seb. That's, that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. It's too soon. It's too soon. It's too soon. One more point, then you're good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that was terrible. Um, <laughs> lost my whole train of thought. <laughs> that'll help bring it right back. That'll help. That'll help bring it right back. Let's move to the next point, but don't come up yet. Verse 26, if, if any of you wants to serve me, then follow me. If any of you wants to serve me, Then follow me. Then you'll be where I am, ready to serve at a moment's notice. The Father will honor and reward anyone who serves me. So we're talking about living a life uh, that's eternity proof, that's that's helping us plan our investments for the future here, life this lifetime, and in the next. The Father's reward is the language that we're looking for. So what do we got to do to get that Father's reward is we need to serve Jesus. And to serve Jesus, it means that we need to follow Jesus, and we need to be ready at a moment's notice to do whatever he needs whenever he says it whenever he asks it because that's just the way we live like you thought firefighters had crazy alarms that go off following Jesus is the most epic journey of your life and if you think it's boring it's because you're not listening if, if we think that following Jesus is boring, it's because we've settled for good instead of settling for the great things of God. Because Jesus is always speaking into the very depths of who we are, and he's moving us out from beyond our comfortable borders that we've established, where we feel good, we feel smart, we feel kind, we feel important, we feel like if we just help one person that we've just changed everyone's life, and then we go on doing whatever it is that we want to do. But God says, no, 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 if you want to serve me, then follow me. And be ready to serve at a moment's notice. I hope that we're building a church and Christians and believers that are ready to serve at a moment's notice. And not just ready to serve the church at a moment's notice. What this means is ready to serve Jesus at a moment's notice. Which means sometimes when, and I think every preacher uses this example and it's probably a terrible one. But when that person is broken down at the side of the road and they don't look like they're going to kill you. It's probably an opportunity just to help them change that flat tire. If they do look like they're going to kill you, pray first. And call your mom so someone always knows where you are. But 
Am I ready to serve Jesus at a moment's notice? Or am I holding on so tight to my place, my positioning, my home, my family, my relationships, that I'm willing to say no to God to hold on to my comfortability? Right? I'm willing to say no to God and his plan and his purpose because I feel so good. But he says, what I have for you is great. Have you ever had that moment where you feel stuck in your life? This is your breakthrough moment because Jesus says, if any of you wants to serve me, then follow me. To follow Jesus, there has to be movement. Because Jesus has resolutely set his eye on the future and he's moving forward into this destiny, ultimately culminating in him coming back in a new heaven and a new earth. But Jesus is always moving forward. So if I'm always following Jesus, even if it's one, usually it's one step at a time, when I follow Jesus, I'm always moving forward, which means I'm never stuck. I'm never trapped. I'm always moving forward. To follow Jesus has a strong implication of movement and being mobile. If you feel stuck, if you feel trapped, if you feel like life has not led you where you wanted it to go, are you following Jesus right now? I think many of us, we come to these moments where we have these hard decisions to make, but we're afraid to make these hard decisions because we're afraid of making people upset. That's where I was going before. We're afraid of upsetting our friends. We're afraid of upsetting our family. We're, we're afraid, we're afraid, we're afraid, we're afraid. We're, we're living a life based on fear instead of a life based on faith. And so we, we, we hold off on making these decisions. We hold off on saying, hey, I'm going to go this way. I'm going I'm to listen to God. I'm going to follow his prompting and going this way. And so we live life based on fear, sitting back, holding back, staying stagnant, being stuck. And Jesus is trying to call us forward. And we're like, no, somebody's not going to be happy. Can I tell you, the Greeks were not happy when Jesus said no. Can I tell you something else? And Moms aren't going to like this. Your mom might not be happy when you follow the call of Jesus on your life. I'm glad my parents aren't here for the first, this service. Era. I didn't say this in the first one. When I decided to go to Bible college, my parents said no. When I decided, I knew that this was what I was supposed to do with my life. They said no. They said no because I should go get a real education, go get a good job, and I could do all that other stuff later. But I had a sense of the timing of God at work in my life, that this was my time, this was my moment. And so we had a lot of conversations and a lot of struggles and a lot of pain and a lot of heartbreak and a lot of arguments and a lot of me having to pay for myself and a lot of them coming and getting on board. And now they're my, they always have been my biggest supporters. But the thing is, in the moment, it wasn't what they thought for me. But God has something else in mind, and I couldn't just please them. I had to respond to the call of God speaking desperately into my life because everything's going to be made beautiful in its own time. I had to respond at just the right time, at just the right place. What hard decision are you putting off because you are afraid of offending somebody even though you know Jesus is calling you up, he's calling you out, and he's calling you forward? Listen, you're not in a real relationship with somebody, friendship, familial relationship, marriage. You're not in a real relationship with somebody until there's difficulties in your relationship. Right? Like until the rubber meets the road, 
You're not in a real relationship with somebody. You're just all hanging out, going the same direction. It's when there's friction that we actually decide that I'm committed to you and you're committed to me and we're committed to the best possible outcome in this situation. So though it hurts us, because it's going to hurt both sides, though there may be some pain, though there may be some discomfort, that's when we discover that we're going to walk with one another even if we agree to disagree, but we're going to keep talking and we're going to keep working it out. And the amazing thing is, if you're following Jesus, all of a sudden, the whole scope of God's work becomes evidence along the way. I told a story about my parents disagreeing, but I got to tell you a story on the other side. Man, nobody's ever heard this before. When we came to start this church, we had bought a condo in South Edmonton at the peak of the 0708 boom where things were way too expensive. And so we knew we had to come here. We knew this was the place to be. And my parents were away on vacation. And they came back and my dad called me to go out and we were talking. And then they went on another trip and they're on Weiss on this, on this patio. And he FaceTimed me. And uh, he said, Brett, I've just been praying and the Lord really told me that you're supposed to be in Spruce Grove. I said, that's great. That's where we're going. He says, yeah. And I'm supposed to help you, and so we're going to help you. I'm supposed to help you get into a home there because if you, can, if you don't live there, you can't pastor there. So we're going we're gonna to help you because I know you're trying to figure out how you're going to make that happen. Uh, but God said that we're supposed to help you make that happen. So don't worry about it. We've got it. Why? Because they started to see. He started to see. He was responsive. We stayed committed to one another. We kept moving forward. We kept walking together forward. And then God opened his eyes to the whole scope of work that was happening. The very same person that said no to an earlier dream became an answer to a prayer later in the process. Stop writing off people that say no to you. Or that you're disappointing. You're like, well, if they disappoint me, I'm going to have to cut them out of my life. No, God's about to reveal the whole scope of his work to them at just the right time, at just the right place. It is conceivable that today the person that you're warring with could in fact be the very person that God's sending at just the right time, at just the right moment, at just the right place. Phil, I'm going to tell a story about you and me. Phil, because this is just really raw and real today, and this is not going to make the internet, I'm sure. Um, the honest truth is, Phil and I were best friends for a long time. We used to watch 24 in his house every night uh, from about 9 a.m. to 3 in the morning. For a whole two weeks, I didn't go home during Bible college. We just watched 24 and 8 Pizza 73. I mean, it's just. But when and Phil was like our road manager, we traveled on the road together. We did a whole bunch of stuff, like crazy. His brother lived in my basement for a while. Phil was making a major life decision and I disagreed with the timing of it because I cared deeply for my friend. And we had a disagreement and we went our separate ways for like seven years. Was it seven? Six. Yeah. Literally, we just said, okay. Now, I shared my concern because of, of my, my love and affection for my friend. He shared his for his love and affection for his perspective. Now here's the amazing thing. Seven years later, we meet in a coffee, we meet at West Edmonton Mall, and then we go and have a coffee. Phil's moving back to Edmonton. And it was like 
six years ago all over again. It was just like Lord brought us back together. Now they're one of, you know, our leaders in our church, key, key people, key family here at our church. Because relationships are worth more than just a little bit of friction. And then when we see the whole scope of God at work, we're like, oh. oh. And all of a sudden our lives are woven back together. So in one breath, don't be afraid to disappoint somebody to accomplish the plan and purpose of your life. Also understand that God has a redemptive purpose. And he's going to put those things back together if we're walking and following Jesus. We don't have to be afraid. You're not, you might lose someone for a season, but guess what? They might come right back around. They might come right back around. They might come right back around. Well, okay. Are you going to give me three minutes to wrap this up? Are you going to give me three minutes? Can I get three minutes? Can I get three minutes? Three minutes right there. All right. Can I get five? Can I get five? Can I get five? Because that's eight if you combine them together. Anyways, can I get seven? Okay. Last point, okay? Verse 27, the words of Jesus. Right now I am storm-tossed. What am I going to say? Father, get me out of this. This is the words of Jesus on the way to be crucified on the cross for you and me. Right now I'm storm-tossed. And what am I going to say? Father, get me out of this? No. This is why I came in the first place. I'll say, Father, put your glory on display. A voice came out of the sky. I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. That was terrible. The important thing is, right now I'm storm tops. But you're Jesus Christ, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. How are you storm tossed? How does it feel like a storm going on in your stomach? How do you feel like, like this is like insane? How is it that you feel troubled? How is it that you feel sorrow? How is it that you're praying in a garden so hard that you're bleeding out of your pores? How is that a thing? Jesus, I don't understand. This is the greatest thing ever. No, it's the greatest thing ever for you. It's the most painful thing ever for him. So we can understand why he's like, whoa, maybe there, you know, maybe we can negotiate. He has a reason to feel all of those things, but he feels storm tossed. He feels like it's a battle. And yet, in that moment, he makes a choice and he says, okay, doesn't matter how I'm feeling. Doesn't matter what it looks like. God's here to accomplish a purpose and he's here to accomplish it through me. So I am gonna say, Father. Put your glory on display. You might feel storm-tossed. You might feel like there's wind coming at you from every side. You might feel like there's water hitting your face. You just might feel like things are in chaos. It's in flux. Can I tell you, it's okay to feel that way, but what you have to understand is that even though there's a wind in your face, there's also a wind at your back. If you're following Jesus one step at a time, the Bible says the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered of the Lord. So if we follow Jesus one step at a time, though there might be wind in my face, I also have to be aware that there's a wind in my back called the Holy Spirit, the very breath of God, who's actually pushing me and prompting me forward. He's like, here, I'm going to help you. Why? Because he's, he's my helper. That's what the Bible says the Holy Spirit is. He's my helper. He's my comforter. He's my God. He's just nudging me forward. Though there may be a wind in my face, there is a wind in my back that is stronger. And what I have to understand is if there's a wind in my face, but I'm following Jesus, that means somebody is taking the brunt of this storm. 
Because if I'm following Jesus and I'm tailing him somebody else, and he's bigger than me, I can trust you. Like, trust me, he's big. If I'm following him, then he's taking the full attack. So what do I do? What do I do? I get closer to Jesus. Because when I get closer to Jesus, there's less resistance on my face. There's less wind coming at me straight on. Though there's opposition, if I get closer to Jesus, I just hide myself in him. And he begins to take on the attack. And he begins to take on the storm. He begins to take it on. But what we often do is we just fade back. We fade back. We become stuck in that moment that feels good. We fade back. And then we have to take on the full force of the storm. Because the main person that was there to deflect it and defend us has kept moving forward while I decided to stay right here. The very best thing that I can do if I feel storm tossed is I can draw near to Jesus and stay close to Jesus one step at a time, 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 one step at a time. You say, Father, put your glory on display. Use my drama for your glory. Use my story for your glory. Can I tell you the story with my parents? might sound great right now it felt like hell when I was in it and you're like well that was you're just like a middle-class white kid who's talking about someone paying for your college education no I was talking about my destiny and I was talking about a fight with the people who I thought were supposed to look out for my best interests, and yet I felt like I was trapped and alone it didn't feel good when I was in it, but it feels great now that I'm on the other side of it. And I go, God, put your glory on display because if, if that could happen to me, then somebody else is going through it. So you might as well use it for somebody else to help them move into the, their next season. Why don't we stand together? This has been a little bit all over the place, but that's fine. God's accomplishing what he needs to accomplish through it. We're going to sing this song in a moment, but our filter for today, our timeless truth is, is it good or is it God? What do I have to say no to? What do I need to let go of so that I can move forward into my future with Jesus?